have already made so many choices this morning. I, most, most of which you probably didn't even think too much about. You decided what to wear. You decided how to do your hair. You decided what to eat for breakfast. You decided when to leave the house to get here on time or maybe not quite on time. I don't know. Uh, I'm not, I, I wasn't paying attention. Uh, you decided whether to come to Sunday school or not. Uh, what car to drive, what route to take, uh, where to park, which door to go in, uh, uh, whether to, to stop at the bathroom or not. And some of you are reconsidering your choice about right now, right? You decided whether to have a donut, whether to have coffee or tea, and there was someone out there trying to direct you one way or the other. I know. I'm aware of that. Of course, you have the you have to decide where to sit, if you'll sing today or not, uh, if you'll really enter into worship or just kind of sit back. Uh, right now, you're deciding whether this sermon is going to be worth it or not, or whether to pull out your phone and pull up Facebook and pretend you're reading the Bible, right? So, uh, so you've got a million different choices to make. Most of those choices, most of those decisions are probably trivial. Uh, they don't have a huge impact on your future, but then there are decisions that we face in our lives that uh, that we really stew over because they have big consequences. Uh, uh, relationship decisions, job decisions, money decisions, parenting decisions. Uh, it seems like a lot of those things really matter and we don't want to get them wrong. And so, we're in the middle of this, this series, uh, trying to discover biblical principles for finding God's will for our lives, uh, finding what God would have us to choose in these decisions in our lives. And there are a lot of ways to, uh, to work through decisions. If you have a choice in front of you, you probably uh, approach those things in, in, in certain ways. Uh, on more than one occasion, I have, uh, I have made a, a, a pros and cons list. And you've probably done this, or at least mentally, if not physically, written it out. Uh, on the on a paper, you've got cons on one side and pros on the other, and, and you're listing it. Well, if I choose this decision, what are the positives and what are the negatives, right? And so we, we, we work down through those things. And then the theory goes, if there are more pros than there are cons, then we should go ahead and do it. And that is uh, certainly a useful tool, and, and many times that, uh, that, that plays out really well, and that's a good thing to do. Uh, but I'm not sure that we can pull that out of Scripture and apply that to every decision that we make and uh, just say, well, if I make a pros and cons list and the, the pros outweigh the cons, then, then that must be what God wants me to do. I say that because throughout the pages of Scripture, there are a whole lot of examples of people who had a, a whole lot more on the con side than the pro side, and yet it was God's will that they would do it. Just a few examples. Noah. Uh, Noah was, uh, was basically the only, only guy uh, at the time that was following God. And uh, he faced ridicule. He's building a boat, and they don't even know what it said. There's going to be a flood. They don't even know what rain is, and and so he's, he had to deal with all these animals and and uh, deal with all the smells that come with that. And he had to deal with uh, living, you know, in close quarters with his uh, with his family for like a year, right? I mean, that's a, a, a I'm sure that was a pro. I, I'm sorry. I, so Noah probably had a lot more cons than pros, and yet that was God's will. Joseph, uh, in the in the Christmas story, is facing humiliation, uh, facing the fact that uh, it appeared that his wife had been unfaithful. Um, he faced a a long trip uh, during the Christmas season, even. I mean, it was it was crazy. You'll pick up on that in a minute. But um, uh, anyway, a couple of you guys. Sorry, I 
That's just kind of where my mind goes. Uh, the Apostle Paul, a whole lot of stuff. We could, we could look at a bunch of different things that were, that were going wrong in his life and, and all of the, uh, the difficulties that he faced. And, and yet, and yet, uh, over and over again, he said, I'd do it all again. And, and he said, I, forgetting everything is behind, I'm pressing on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. So, so he's pressing on even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of a whole lot more cons, but it would have been a whole lot easier for him to just stay home. I, I don't know, all, all the disciples, they followed Jesus, right? And, and yet, uh, uh, all but one, uh, faced untimely deaths. Uh, they, it was, it was, uh, definitely, uh, there were a lot of, of difficulty. The list could go on and on. Uh, pros and cons list. I say all that to say the pros and cons list probably isn't a principle that we pull from scripture and say, if we just do this, then we'll know what to do. We'll know what God wants us to do. It, it might help us d- discern some things, but, but ultimately, that's not necessarily a principle we can apply. Another way to make decisions that a lot of us do, uh, we forget about the pros and cons list, and we just base our decision on emotion, right? Uh, we do what we feel like doing. To be honest, we probably do that more often than not, right? Uh, even if the cons outweigh the pros, and it doesn't make objective sense to make this decision, we do it anyway because we feel like it, because it feels good, because we want to, because... We're basing our decision on emotion. People on the outside kind of looking at our, well, why would they choose to do that? Well, it's because they, they wanted to. We base our decisions on emotion. And that's fine, except I, I don't know about you, but, but there have been times in my life when my emotions change. I don't know if that is the case with you or not. I think it's pretty, pretty standard across the board. Uh, not a lot of good would get accomplished in my life if all I did was what I felt like doing. I would get a lot of ESPN watched, and I would knock down a whole lot of peanut M&Ms. But not a whole lot would get accomplished for the good if all I did was what I felt like doing. Deciding what God wants, to go, what God wants to, you to do with your life has to be more than just doing what I feel like doing, based on my feelings. Oh, I feel like I need... There's probably more to it than that. There's a whole lot of other ways that, that, that we make decisions. Uh, we can make decisions based on what will benefit us financially, uh, what's good for my family, what will help progress my career the furthest, uh, what is the healthiest decision, what is the safest decision. All of those things are great and good, uh, but we can find evidence of people in Scripture and in history who went against those things because they sensed that God wanted them to do something even though it wasn't necessarily something that made sense. The good Samaritan uh, wasted his money, his, his hard-working, uh, the, the money he, he earned uh, working hard, and he wasted it on this stranger. Uh, Abraham left his family for an unknown land, uh, completely uh, out of the ordinary, and, and everybody's going, what in the world are you doing? Moses risked life and limb to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Uh, even from, from history, Martin Luther uh, committed career suicide by sticking his neck out to, to uh, reform the church. Uh, over and over again, these things weren't safe or personally beneficial or healthy. But it sure seems like they were God's will. So how do we decide? Well, maybe you, maybe you can relate to the situation that that is said to have happened at a 30-year high school reunion. You know, I was thinking as I was looking over this last night, that's only a couple years away for me. Wow. 30-year high school re- Wow. Okay. That means those of you that are older than me. Wow. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. 
So anyway, at this 30-year high school reunion, two buddies got together and, and life had kind of taken them completely different directions. One of them was, uh, was uh, uh, just uh, uh, had, had made a lot of money and had been very successful. Uh, and, uh, and this other one had made a whole lot of mistakes and was very unsuccessful. And yet they were buddies in high school, so they got together and they were talking. And, and the, uh, the, the guy who had been unsuccessful was talking to uh, the guy that had been very successful. He's very rich. And, and, and he, he said, well, how, 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 what's the secret? How did this, how did this all come to be? And he said, well, well, here's the thing. Um, I decided early on that I wanted, I wanted to figure out what God wanted me to do. And so, uh, so, so one night I got out my Bible and, uh, I closed my eyes and I opened my Bible and I put my finger down and then I opened my eyes again. And my finger was on the word oil. So I invested in oil. It exploded. The market exploded, and I made millions of dollars. He said. He said, "Well, a little bit later on, uh, I, I was feeling like uh, maybe a change needed to be made, and, and so I, I prayed again. I said, God, what do you want me to do?' And then I, I closed my eyes and I opened my Bible and my, I, I, I put my finger down, and it landed on the phrase gold and silver. He said, "So I invested in precious metals, and it just went through the roof, and I made millions again." He said, then I, uh, another time, a little bit later in my life, I did the same thing. I prayed, God, uh, show me what you want me to do. And then I closed my eyes and I opened my Bible and put my finger down. And it was on the word gates. And I didn't know what that meant, but uh, really kind of felt drawn toward uh, computer software and stuff. And now I'm almost as rich as Bill Gates, he said. Well, they had their conversation. They went on. Later that night, the less successful friend decided he really needed some help. And so he went back to his hotel room and he got out that Gideon Bible from the, from the drawer in the, uh, in the nightstand and he prayed and he said, God, show me what you want me to do. And he opened that Bible up, closed his eyes, opened his Bible up, put his finger down. And when he opened his eyes, his finger was on the words, chapter 11. Opening and pointing at the Bible probably also is not the, uh, the way that we need to decide what God's will is for our lives. So how do we do this? What, what is it? How can we discern what God's will is? Last week we saw there are three ways that God's will is, is uh, laid out in Scripture. Three different ways that, that the Bible talks about God's will. Uh, the first one is God's providential will. Right? Uh, and this is what God is going to do no matter what. The second is God's moral will. These are God's commands, His righteousness, His holiness, the, the things that He says, hey, do this because it's the right thing to do. And, uh, and we said that those two are kind of like guardrails, kind of like the picture there. Those are kind of guardrails along, uh, uh, along our lives. And God's personal will for us, His will for you individually is going to fit in between the guardrails of God's providential will and His moral will. It's not going to be outside of that. Now, that narrows things down considerably, doesn't it? Uh, they, they, uh, God's pr- personal will for you will not go against his morality, his holiness. He will not be uh, directing you to do something that goes against that. And, and uh, we also, as we get to know uh, who God is and what he is doing in the world, we're, his will for us is going to fit in with what he's already doing in the world. So, as we said last week, the more familiar you are with God's providential will and the more obedient you are to God's moral will, the easier it will be to determine God's personal will for your life. So we're not just shooting in the dark. Oh, what if, what does God want me to do? Well, we have some direction here. It's going to fit into God's providential will and his moral will. Now, if you look there, that eliminates a whole lot of stuff. 
That narrows things down considerably. We don't have all of this, oh, I'm just shooting in the dark kind of thing when we're trying to figure out God's will. We have direction. All of us have direction. His personal will for you is going to fit into, it will include what he's doing in the world, and it will include uh, obeying his moral laws uh, because that makes for the best life possible as, as, as God uh, determines. And so his will for you is never going to contradict those things. Today we're going to dive a little bit more then into trying to discern that personal will. But before we do that, just a couple of things that I, that maybe they're random statements or maybe they're, they're, uh, just things I, I, along the lines that, um, along these lines that I want to make sure we understand. First off, I think if I'm not careful, you could get the idea that there's always something new and fancy and sexy and amazing right around the corner and, and, uh, and so I'm always looking for that, right? What's next? That's what the series is called. What's next? And so I'm always looking for what's next. But so many times, I want you to get this, so many times God's will is to remain, to stay, to persevere, to, 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 to struggle, to, to wrestle, to slog through the mundane, ordinary stuff of life. With his power, of course, but, but it's not necessarily this big flashy thing. There's not always some big next plan on the horizon that's all rainbows and unicorns. Many times what's next is faithfulness, obedience, commitment, dedication, staying firmly rooted in God and in His Word and in His love. So I'm not saying, I don't want you to think that I'm saying there's always going to be this next big thing that, that you need to be shooting for and, and, and that there's these, all these mountaintop experiences and I'm just going to go next with God and, and I'm kind of bored here now, so what's next? It might, what's next might be to stick with that. I also think it's common today to live so much looking for the next that we miss the now. We're always looking for what's next and we miss what's right in front of us. And so I don't want you to be doing that either. We anticipate what's coming to the extent that we miss out on what's here. And so don't think that I'm promoting what's next as, as something that you, you have to be living for the next. Live in the now even though you're open to what might be next. And, and one more thing, God only gives you the next step once you're obedient to the current step. I think this is important because a lot of times we pray, God, tell me your will. And he'll say, well, I told you my will a couple years ago and you still aren't doing it. Until you do that, you won't know the day. Someone explained it to me this way a long time ago and it's always stuck with me. And that is, I I guess I get the picture of this uh, person walking through the, the, the woods in the dark. And they've got a lantern, right? And so... I can't see my destination. All I can see is where I'm going to take the next step. And I hold that lantern out, and it gives me light for that next step. It gives me light so I can, you know, miss the roots and not run into a tree and all those kinds of things. But I can't see what's clear down there, but I can see what the next step is. And I can't even see two or three steps ahead. I can just see one or two, right? I take that step. All of a sudden, whoa, my lantern came. And now as I've been obedient to this step, all of a sudden there's light for the next step. And then I take that step and there's light for the next step. And I take that step and it's light for the... And, and that seems to be how God works in our lives a lot of the time. 
We don't necessarily have a map. Okay, in three days you're going to do this, and then uh, next month you're going to do this, and next year you're going to do this. It's be obedient to what I've given you now. Uh, be obedient to uh, the current step, and then uh, you will be setting yourself up for light for the next step. Once you step into his will, he'll direct the next step and the next and the next and the next. So all, all those things be, be, all those things being said, let's go a little deeper into this uh, uh, God's will for your personal life, uh, God's personal will for our lives. Last week I talked about maps and, and GPS and the turn-by-turn instructions and all those kinds of things. Uh, today I want to maybe step back just a, a bit and think more about a compass and kind of directional, not necessarily maps, but but a, a, a direction. A map is all about specific turns and street names and all the details. But before we get to that, we have to figure out which direction we're going. And that's where a compass guides us. In other words, we need to have a picture of where we're heading on this journey with God. God has a vision for your life. God has a vision for what your life should be like. He has a picture of what your marriage should be like. He has a picture for what your family relationship should be like. God has a picture uh, about what your finances should be like or what your career should be. Uh, uh, He has created you. He has formed your life in such a way that there is a destination on the mind and heart of God as to what you should do with your life and how that fits into his providential will and his moral will, what he's up to in the world and uh, and and uh, through the, the, the morals and commands that he has laid out, uh, he has a plan for what your life should look like. And so when you're seeking direction for living, uh, you're, you're trying to catch a glimpse of that picture, right? If you get a, a, a clearer image of that picture then you can eliminate options that don't fit into that picture and the choices get easier along the way. I guess I think of a puzzle. Uh, it's made of a bunch of little pieces and every time you're trying to figure out where the pieces go, what do you look at? The big picture on the box, right? Unless you're like, you know, Puzzle Ninja or something and you can do it without looking at the picture on the box. That's not me. Um, I remember, I have memories, my dad was a big puzzle guy and, and loved to do puzzles. I think my mom still has a, a, a puzzle framed up in the, you know, that they did together years and years ago. But uh, I still have a picture in my mind of, of my dad. He had glasses about this thick, you know. And, uh, but, but when he's doing a puzzle, they, they were kind of down on his nose and he'd pull a piece and he's, you know, looking at it. And then he's got the box, you know, and he's, and his mouth is kind of open a little bit. We actually, we got a puzzle out this week uh, at, at home, and uh, I was sitting down doing it, and Rebecca came around the corner, and she said, wow, I just, I just kind of got a little picture of your dad there, because <laughs> I was doing the exact same thing, only without the glasses. But um, anyway, so we look at that big picture to see where the little pieces, where the little decisions might go to make up what the big picture might be. Now... Back in the day when our kids were a whole lot younger, we had puzzles and many times more than one puzzle uh, was out at the same time and uh, sometimes the pieces got all jumbled up. Well, how would we figure out which uh, pieces went with which puzzle? Well, you'd look at the big picture on the box. And so it didn't take much to realize that a, p- a puzzle piece with Mickey Mouse's ear on it did not belong in a puzzle of Winnie the Pooh's honey pot. And so uh, even though all those pieces were together, we could pull them out and discern which one went where because of look because we saw the big picture on the we had a vision for what was, what it was supposed to be and so we knew where the little pieces would go 
If you have a vision, if you have a direction from God for your life, when decisions come, you can hold those up to the big picture to see if they fit. So knowing the big picture makes a big difference. In the Bible, there's a great illustration of this, and that's in uh, the book of Nehemiah, uh, a rather small book in the Old Testament. Uh, Nehemiah... We're going to look at chapter 6, so to catch you up uh, in the story in case you're not familiar with it, uh, Nehemiah was, uh, was a, a, a Hebrew, he had been taken into exile, and uh, he had this, uh, this desire from God laid upon his heart to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls of the city. And so through a whole lot of things, he, he prayed and he, he, he discerned that that really was what God wanted him to do. And the king sent him with his blessing and he, he went through all the details of rallying the troops and getting everybody together and getting all the supplies and getting the workforce. And they, they started building the walls and doing all this stuff. He had a vision of what God wanted him to do and then he started working, working the plan. In Nehemiah chapter 6, we find that there was some opposition to this plan that had potential to derail the whole thing. We see in verse 1, now when Sanballat, there's a gr- some great names here. If you're looking for any, if anyone here is looking for names for babies, there might be, might be a couple. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem went to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hakafirim, Man, that's a great name. Little baby Hakafirim. That was, that'd be nice. In the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. So here's the picture that I get in my mind, whether it's completely true or not, I don't know, but Nehemiah is up on the ladder working on the wall. Right? And a messenger comes and says, hey, these guys want to meet with you. And Nehemiah looks down and says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Yeah, but, but these guys really want to, you, you need to, no, you know what? I've got this vision from God of, of, of what, uh, what should happen here and, uh, he wants me to finish this and so I'm not going to get distracted by that. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Life is so full of opportunities and options for us. But just because, here's a, here's something I think derails us a lot of the time. Just because something is possible does not mean it's God's will. Let me de- kind of define that a little bit or translate it for you in, in church speak. An open door, we call that. Something is possible. Oh, I have an open door. Well, okay, there's probably... 15 open doors, uh, just because it's possible doesn't mean it's God's will. Many times people explain that something must be God's will just because the opportunity presented itself. And so in our minds we go, well, I was kind of thinking this, and then there was this. And Well, it certainly could be, and an open door very well could be. But sometimes God says, do this, even when it appears that the door is slammed and locked. And he says, do it anyway. So, so we can't just say just because it's possible doesn't mean it's God's will. In the sea of possibilities, having a glimpse of God's big picture for your life helps dramatically in narrowing in on the right decisions. You have something to measure against every time you have an opportunity. Well, let's see. I am called to be a pastor. 
But I have this opportunity to go be a, a, a used car sale. I'm just making this up. This didn't really happen. Nobody wants me to sell used cars. But uh, if that was ever to happen, I would say, okay, let's see. Well, I have this opportunity. I could probably make some, some money and, and I could make some enemies. And, uh, you know, it would be... Uh, but wait a minute. The big picture for my life is God has, has called me to be a pastor. So, so that's not... You know what? I'm, I'm doing this. I, I can't, can't do that. I'm doing a great work. I can't come to... I, no, I'm not going to... Because I've got this vision of what God, as picture of what God wants. What is God's vision for your life? What is his vision for your relationship with your kids? His vision for your relationship with your, with your spouse? What is God's vision for your job, for your finances? Uh, I've heard it described as, uh, a vision is described as a mental picture of what could be fueled by a passion that it should be. Isn't that good? Completely made it up. Stole that. I didn't even... Try to change it. So I've just got to give credit where credit is due. It's something, a mental picture of what could be with the passion that it should be. Figure that out in the various areas of your life and you're on your way to seeing God's big picture. Well, how do you do that? Well, there are a lot of practical things you can do. One is getting to know yourself uh, better. How has God made you? how, how, how has God formed and shaped your life up to this point so that, uh, so that you, uh, can maybe start to get, get a glimpse of what He wants for you in the future? Some self-reflection, some soul-searching, uh, can, can do wonders and take us far down the road in discovering God's will, God's vision for our lives. What do you enjoy doing? Uh, what's your personality? Uh, are you uh, outwardly focused and love to be with people or are you an introvert? Uh, that might determine what that, uh, what that is. What, what are you good at? What do people compliment you for? What is it that when you're doing it, time seems to fly by or time seems to stand still? Uh, you just, you just energize your enthusiasm. What is it? How has God made? What about the experiences of your life? What has God brought you through to this point that maybe He could use to say, Hey, uh, you can help with this or that or you've, there's this vision of what could be and what should be in your life. And as you're evaluating yourself, I've also heard that a great, a great quick way to, to start to narrow this down is to ask this question. What frustrates me? Perhaps when you hear that, you might say, okay, pastor, I'm not sure that it's God's will for my life that I rid the world of people in the express line at Walmart who have more than 20 items, because that really frustrates me, right? No, it's not what I, I'm not talking about pet peeves here. Uh, what frustrates me morally? What gets under your skin morally? Many times that's the place where vision is born, moral frustrations. What is it that you're, you're motivated to change? You just have to do something. You have to bring, uh, you have to alleviate suffering. You have to step into that. What is the image of what could be with a conviction that it should be along those lines? Vision can begin with holy frustration. That's just one more place to explore. Of course, there are very practical things we can do, uh, and we're going to talk in depth next week, uh, next time about, about, uh, some of these in depth things that, uh, uh, practically speaking, we can work through, uh, discovering what God's will might be. Today, I want to come back to, cycle around to this, uh, this passage that, that this entire series is based on in Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight, or he will direct your path. 
Last week, we talked a lot about trust. Uh, remember the trust fall video and, and how, uh, you know, it, it, the, the lady was unwilling to trust Jesus because it didn't look like it made any sense. Finding and following God's will involves completely trusting God. There's, there's something else, though, here. It's not, not only about trust. That's where it starts with trust in the Lord with all your heart. Uh, don't try to figure it out for yourself. Don't trust in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. That's a phrase that I think I kind of skim over a lot of the time. What does it mean to acknowledge God? In all my ways, acknowledge God. To be honest, the first thing that comes to my mind uh, in acknowledging God is going past someone on the street and giving them one of these. Right? I mean, that's what us cool people do when we go by somebody we know and we kind of... No? So we acknowledge somebody. It's a whole lot better than ignoring them, right? A whole lot of people do that with God. Uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Uh, don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, ignore him. <laughs> we do that a lot of the time. We, we Okay, whatever God says, ah, you know what, I'm not really seeking after that. I'm going to do my own way. So so acknowledging, giving the little head nod is uh, certainly better than, than uh, just kind of walking the other way. You've probably been uh, in Walmart or the grocery store and seen somebody that you didn't want to run into or acknowledge, Right? And so you kind of dove behind the uh, the cornflakes or something so that you didn't have to give them the little head nod. You've never done that? I, ha- I, I never have either. Um, and you'll never know because you might have been the person. That, no, I'm, I'm Acknowledging God here means so much more than giving a little head nod. Acknowledge, the word in Hebrew here, the root word for acknowledge has its root in this, in this very deep, uh, knowledge and understanding and personal, intimate, uh, deep. Because of close personal relationship and engagement, because of experience personally with someone, I know them intimately. It's a deep-seated friendship based on common experience. In all your ways, acknowledge him is so much more than, hey, I know that guy. In all your ways, acknowledge him is go down deep with God and live in the trenches and fight through things and, and get to know and, and understand and, and, and wrestle and, and, and intimate knowledge based on personal experience. In all your ways, acknowledge If you want God to direct your paths, you have to get to know him. It's not just, oh God, now, I, now what do I do? I, I'm come along the way here. Here I am. Okay, well now what do I? Do? It's based on and assumes a relationship that has been ongoing. You have to walk with Him in all your ways, in every aspect of your life. Experience life with God. Submit to His leadership. Follow Him. Uh, like I said last week, He's not giving you direction so that you can just consider it. He's assuming when He gives direction, you're going to follow it. Do you know Him like that? That has to be in this equation before we ever start deciding, okay, well, uh, how do, what decision do I make today, tomorrow, next week? No, it's all based in this relationship, this deep-seated, intimate relationship based on personal experience. You see, God is not, sometimes people say, well, God is just uh, direct, directing your path. Uh, he's a dictator and he's just saying, you gotta do this whether you like it or not. That's not what this is talking about either. Uh, We sang it earlier today. He's a good, good father, and he loves us, and that's why he has plans for us. 
One of the most important decisions you will make in life is not what job to take or whether to go back to school or when to retire. Who's the one that makes the decisions? Who are you trusting in with all of your heart, even if it doesn't make sense? Who are you living life with so intimately through personal connection that, that it's almost second nature to, to follow him as he directs your path? Get to know God personally, intimately. Invite him to make the million little choices in your life. Ask him to reveal his direction to you. It's not about pointing at a verse or making a pros and cons list. It's about acknowledging him in all your ways. Then, and only then, he will direct your paths. Father God, we get this wrong a lot. We try to make it more complicated or more simple than it is. We want your direction. We want your blessing, but we also want to do what we want to do. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, I pray that your spirit would would be moving and working in us right now. And if there's even a seed of, I'm going to make my own decision, and I don't care what God wants, Lord, I pray that you'll root that out in our lives. I pray that you'll help us even before we start praying about specific decisions in our lives, that we will make sure that, that we are acknowledging you in all of our ways. Lord, I pray that you'll, you'll open our eyes to catch a glimpse of the vision that you have for us, the big picture, how we can uh, start to figure out where these little puzzle pieces go. And we won't understand it all. Your ways are so much bigger than our ways. Your ways are higher than our, we won't understand it all, but we do know that you desire for us to participate with you in what you're doing and to follow your, uh, your guidelines for life. So, Lord, I pray. I pray that deep down in the depths of our hearts that we can turn that stool over to you, that we can allow you to make the choices and we'll trust you, even if it doesn't make sense, that we'll trust you as we walk with you, getting to know you more and more each day. Lord, I pray that as we go from here, we can go rejoicing that we have a good, good Father who loves us, who's giving us direction for life, not because he's a dictator, but because he loves us and wants what's best for us. So, Lord, I pray that you would increase our trust and increase our desire to serve you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Lord, guide us in the steps that we take each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 